0: By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of the He chose to be mistreated along along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He regarded things for the sake of Christ as of a greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. Mm -hmm. By faith, he left Egypt, not sharing the king's idol. He preserved because he to By faith, he kept the Passover at the sprinkling of blood, so that the destroyer of the first not touch the first of Israel. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land, and when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. Okay, now this passage comes from that uh, passage, that book in the Bible that's called the Hall of Fame of Faith. So because of his faith, everything here talks about what he did because of his faith. He was a man of faith. Uh, certain people can't seem to stay out of trouble. Somehow they always get caught up in a conflict, some kind of problems. Whenever and wherever it breaks out, they seem to be caught in the middle of it. Their favorite response to any action is reaction. Moses was such a person. Wherever trouble was, you could be assured that Moses was going to be there. He was going to be right in the middle of it. He seemed to have a magnetic pull towards whatever wrong that needed to be made right. When it came to responding to conflicts around him, he was both at his best and his worst all through his entire life. That's the story of Moses' life. He just had to investigate When he spotted a bush engulfed in flames, but the bush was not being burned up. That's not something that Moses would have turned away from. He just had to go and see what was going on. He just had to go and investigate. Whether defending a Hebrew slave by jumping in a fight, trying to referee a scuffle between two Hebrew brothers, Moses always reacted when he saw conflict. Always, He just could not walk away. However, something remarkable happened to Moses' character over the years. Something changed. He was not the person he always was. While he didn't stop reacting, he instead learned how to react correctly rather than wrongly. Now, sometimes when he reacted, he didn't do do a good job. But he learned over the years... That there was a right way and a wrong way to react to certain situations. And God taught him that over the years. The humongous feat of leading 2 million people in the wilderness every day was more than enough of a challenge for Moses' reacting ability. Imagine leading 2 million people. <coughs> and you, you just have 5 people that you're involved with and you have problem, problems. Because those are all, those 5 people are all different. They have different characteristics, different ways and manner of Moses had to deal with two million and at many times we saw during that experience Moses had to get up before God and says listen did I give birth to these people? Did I suffer in labor with them? Why, why, Why am I going through this? Okay and we saw that throughout his life. He served as a buffer between God and the people most of the time. One minute he had to respond to God's anger and how stubborn and forgetful the people were. And we saw that a lot. God did a miracle today and the next day people were complaining again. They forgot about the miracle that God had done. That was so tr- tremendous and amazing and astonishing. You would think that people would always remember something like that. Especially if it was a, a miracle that delivered them or provided for them in a miraculous way. But they kept forgetting. And so Moses had to jump in and deal with that. At another minute he had to react to how, people were, how the people squabbled and complained. About the conditions that they were going through, that they didn't like this and they didn't like that. But at another moment, he had to react to how the people attacked his character with no justification. Okay, when they got tired of complaining, then they jumped on the start attacking the leader. You know, you're no good leader. I mean, you're not this and you're not that. Remember what happened in that incident? What happened? What did God do in response? Hmm? Slay him. No. Well, he, he did slay some. That's when the earth will happen to be poor and those. Huh? That's when poor and those were by the earth. Well, that's one of them, but that's not the one. When they complained about Moses' leadership, remember? Oh. Remember, he married a woman and they said, why are you going to marry her? What happened? What happened to, to his brother? It, Miriam. Miriam was struck, was struck with leprosy. All right. And that's because they complained about God's selected leadership. And so they attacked him because of his character with no justification. Without a doubt leadership often involves reaction. We see that all the time. If you really want to react with the character consistent with God's will, it's essential to develop obedience as a habit. If you want to grow in the character that God wants us to have, then just like we make a lot of other things habits, obedience needs to become a habit. For many people, obedience is not a habit. They, they ebb and flow. One minute they're obedient, another minute they're, they're disobedient. And you just can't tell what they're going to be the next moment. And so he says in order to really react uh, with a character consistent with God's will, then obedience need to become a habit in our lives, not a hit and miss or slip shot or buck up, anything goes. It has to become a habit. Less stressful times is a time to develop consistent obedience to God. Stressful times is not a good time to try to develop obedience to God. Only when we do it in, in a, on a consistent basis, our natural reaction will be to obey God when the stress does come. Okay, when the stress comes and you are obeying God on a consistent basis, you are able to deal with that stress in a way that is, is beneficial rather than negative, in a way that is positive rather than negative. We find it impossible, almost impossible at times, in our times of decreasing moral standards, to believe that God would punish Moses for being outrightly obedient, disobedient just one time. And that's the kind of society we live in. Uh, We live in a a society of declining moral standards. Every single day that we wake up, the morality of our time has declined, has has decreased to a certain degree. And it's a sign of the times that we are living in, because the Bible tells us that uh, in the times that we get closer to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ uh Daniel uh, chapter 12 uh, tells us that people are going to get those who are uh, righteous are going to get more righteous and those who are not righteous are going to get more unrighteous in other words the white are going to get whiter and the wicked are going to get wickeder And the Bible tells us that. And we are seeing that happen in our day and time. So we are living in in a time of decreasing moral standards. And it started uh, long before the time of Moses. And so uh, we find it sometimes almost impossible to look at how God dealt with Moses when he just made one mistake one time. How could God be so harsh? However, what we fail to see Is that Moses was not really rejected by God. Moses simply disqualified himself from entering the promised land. Okay, Moses knew what the qualifications were to get into the promised land. He was the leader, he knew. And he knew what he should and should not have done. And when God gave him specific directions, no mistake about it, it wasn't difficult to understand. God says, I want you to do this, not this. And he decided that he was going to do contrary. He disqualified himself. So God didn't kick him off off the list. God didn't scratch him off the list of those who were going to the promised land. He did that all by himself. He disqualified himself. No amount of personal greatness makes a person immune to mistakes or consequences. But we see that happening today. We see people who are positions of prestige and authority and power feel as if they can get away with anything by doing whatever they feel like doing. The law doesn't apply to them. They are above the law. Well God tells us through the story of Moses that listen it doesn't work that way with me. It just doesn't. No amount of personal greatness makes anybody immune to mistakes and the consequences that come as a result of those mistakes. In other words, the way we put it today is, nobody's above the law. So when we look at Moses, we see an outstanding personality, shaped, molded, and fashioned by God himself. Many people look at the success today, and they describe themselves as a self-made man. Well, Moses was a God-made man. Moses became what he was because God made him that way. He was molded and shaped it by God. However, we must also under, we must not also, we must not misunderstand what God did. And a lot of times we look at people's lives, people like Moses, and we misunderstand what God did. In Moses' case we can't. You see, God never changed who or what Moses was. He didn't do that. No you know, people look at his life and say, well, God changed who he was. No, God didn't change him. And God never does that. We look at all the men who were responsible for penning the scriptures. And one thing you will notice is that God never took away any of those men's personalities. You could read a particular passage and tell who wrote it. The Bible tells us that men were moved under the inspiration of God. God didn't take away their personality. Yes, God was responsible for what they were what to write. But God didn't take away their personalities. And so God never changed who or what Moses was. He never gave Moses any new abilities or strengths. Never. We didn't see read anywhere in the scriptures where God endowed Moses with this, that, or the next. What he did instead was he took Moses' characteristics and molded them into... Until they were matched with God's purposes. He took all of Moses' characteristics and he matched them up with God's purposes. What God purposed to do in Moses' life and through Moses for the kingdom of God. And so the application principle for us that we get from Moses' life then is how does this knowledge make a difference And how we understand God's purpose for your life. When we understand what God did with Moses and with Moses life, how does this knowledge match up, make a difference in how you understand God's purpose for your life? God is trying to take what he created in the first place and use it for the purposes he intended. See, a lot of times we look at our lives as our own. Child, I'm my own man. I'm my own woman. I can do whatever I feel like. Well, if you're a child of God, that's not the case. God is molding you and shaping you to do what He intends to happen with your life. Instead of asking, what should I change into? Which is what a lot of people are asking today. They look at other people's lives and they want to be like them. There's a song many years ago in the in the, in the sports world is I want to be like Mike. Remember that? Everybody wanted to be like Mike. Well, we should not ask what we should change into. The next time you talk with God, ask, how should I do your will by using my abilities, my own abilities and strengths? How can I accomplish what you want me to do by using the abilities and strengths that you provided? Remember, God equips to do his will. God doesn't throw you into in, into, the, into a, a task that you're not capable of accomplishing and says, go for it. You're on your own. No. He equips us. He gives us the abilities to do what he wants us to do. So, we see a couple of In all of the the, the persons that we look at in scripture, uh, many of them have failings and faults and many of them have successes and and strengths. Well, Moses had uh, two failings and, and faults. His disobedience to God prevented him from entering the promised land. That was a failure. okay? And he did not always recognize and use the talents of those that God had given him. Okay, there were many, many people that God, that Moses could have used, that God had provided for him to use, and he didn't use them. So those were his, his failings and faults. Didn't have many, but he still had those two. But then when it comes to his strengths and his successes, uh, he excelled. He was Egyptian educated, so he was well educated, he was a smart man. Um, he had wilderness training. Okay, he was able to manage those people in the wilderness for all those years and be good at it. He was the greatest of Jewish leaders. He stood head and shoulders above many. He initiated the exodus. Uh, God gave him a humongous task to lead those people out of Egypt, and many people would not have taken that challenge. In fact, you know, remember, he tried to get out of it by using excuses at the outset, but he couldn't swing God, and he was able to with God's help, be able to pull it off. So he initiated the exodus by following God's directions and and letting God direct and guide him. And then he was a prophet and a lawgiver, uh, having recorded the Ten Commandments. But of course, we know that didn't go as well as it was intended to go, right? He went up there, God gave him the commandments, and while he was up there, the people started carrying on bad. And he came back down and they were having a great big party and and, uh, and uh, worshiping the golden calf. And uh, and of course, he had to find out what was going on and ended up uh, b- broken up the tablets with the law that God had just given him. Okay, but he was a law, he was a prophet and a lawgiver and he recorded the Ten Commandments just as God had given it to him. And then he ordered the Pentateuch. The first five books of the Bible is he was the man who, who, who God used. He was under the inspiration of God, so he was the author of the first five books of the Bible. But what does it like, what does this life teach us in terms of being a wise person that is on this list of wise people that the Bible puts on this list of wise? Nobody but the Bible, God put him on this list of wise people. Despite his failures and faults, God put him on this list. So what does this life teach us when it comes to the application of wisdom as a wise person? Well, the first thing is that God prepares, then uses. And we saw that in his life. God prepared him for the task that he wanted to use him for. And whenever God calls us to do something, we always need to remember. The only reason why God is calling us is because he has already prepared us for the task. He's doing. See, God is never going to call you and not prepare you. Okay, whenever He calls us, we need to we need to think back in our minds, okay, God's calling me, that means He's prepared me. Let me think of how He's prepared me for this task, and then follow through. And so what we learn from Moses' life, uh, what his life teaches us is that God prepares, then He uses. It's not the opposite. Some people think He uses and He prepares, but He doesn't. He prepares... You see, God is a God of order. And that's why in the book of, in the, in, in the New Testament, the Bible tells us that we are to do all things decently and in order because God is a God of order. If God wasn't a God of order, think of the chaos. Not only our world would be in, but the universe would be in. You realize it's God that's holding the universe together? When we look at um, at science and uh, the scientists tell us about these asteroids that are moving all over the place in space. Isn't it amazing that none of us, none of them hit us yet and obliterated us because some of those things are 10 times bigger than this little planet that we are on. But yet those things are moving all through face, space at the at the speed of light. And mean none of them hit us yet. We're not even aware of it. Only the sciences, scientists can tell us that okay in the next couple of days, there's going to be an asteroid the size of such and such, and it's going to come X amount of miles away from Earth. Now, if God was in a God of order, we'd have been obliterated a long time ago. But God is controlling all of that. And then not, to, not, not only that, but there's a bunch of what they call space junk in space. All those... Those uh, spacecraft that went up there over the years—all that stuff—is still up there, floating around. And it's not—it's not—it's not floating slowly and cozily. Those things are moving at the speed of light. They are blasting through the universe. Sometimes they're bumping into other stuff, but nothing is hitting this little planet Earth. And we could always be a target. God is a God of order. God prepares, then He uses, and then God has a has his own life-sized timetable. Okay? God has a timetable that is in real time. Okay? And it's life-sized. It's not a little minute little thing. He has a timetable for every single one of us in all that we do. and We need to be mindful. And so that's one of the things that his life teaches us. when we see that in his life. And then, uh, what his life also teaches is that he uses fragile people to do his greatest work. He uses fragile people or weak people or what is considered weak people to do his greatest work. He doesn't go and go and pick up the strongest person. Remember who who, who defeated Goliath? Was he a, uh, a warrior? He wasn't even a warrior. He was a little shepherd boy. All those big, strong, strapping men that they army, I mean, not one of them was man enough to stand up to Goliath. David little shepherd boy he couldn't even wear the armor but the king says here put on my armor when he put that thing on he fell to the ground because it was too heavy but God always uses fragile people to do it so we should never say and and Moses life teaches that because when God called Moses what was Moses first response Lord I can't speak I'm not eloquent I I can't do that I eat this and I eat that okay but God chose him God chose him And so the next time God challenges you with a task, remember, God uses fragile people to do great things, His greatest work. And as you look through the scriptures, and you think about it, and you read through scriptures, you'll find that out, and you'll say, boy, you know that's true, okay, who who did He use to bring the Savior of the world into the world? A little virgin girl, Mary. And over and over again, as we look through scriptures, we'll see. And so Moses' life teaches us a lot of things that we take for granted or that we don't even think about. And so Moses is the second wise person. The third wise person is a fellow that we don't hear too much about. And his name is Bezalel. Who was Bezalel and why did he make this list? Who was he? Well, he was considered to be a, he made the list because he was considered to be a wise artist. A wise artist. He was the designer and supervisor of the wilderness tabernacle construction and its utensils. That's why he made the list. How do you spell that word? How do you spell his name? Bezalel? Yeah. B E Z. A L E L Bezalel. If we look at Exodus chapter thirty-one. We will see how he enters the picture. Exodus chapter thirty-one verses one to five. Could someone read that passage, please? Exodus thirty-one, the first five verses. Hmm? And mm-hmm. He was an artist. He was an artist, yes. Someone read the passage. Mm-hmm. Exodus 31, mm-hmm. verses 1 to 5. Now the Lord spoke to Moses saying, See, I have called by name Israel, the son of David and the son of her, of the child of Judah. Filling with the spirit of God and wisdom, and understanding, and knowledge, in all kinds of craftsmanship. To make artistic designs, for work in gold and silver and browns, and in the cutting of stones, the setting, and the carving of wood, that he may work in all kinds of craftsmanship. Okay. Now, remember what we just said, God prepares, then he, what? He uses. God, he uses, right? God prepares, then he uses. And we see that happening specifically here with Bezalel. Okay, what did the verse say? Then the Lord said to Moses, God told Moses... Listen, I got some work that needs to be done. And I got someone particularly special chosen how to do this work. Look, I have specifically chosen Bezalel. Of all the people he could have chosen, he particularly chosen this person. Bezalel, son of Uri, grandson of of the tribe of Judah. I have filled him with the spirit of God. Okay, so he's, he's endowed by God's power. Giving him great wisdom. Okay, that's why he's included in this list of wise people, because God gave him wisdom. God gave him the wisdom and ability and the expertise in all kinds of crafts. And only God could do that. He says to Moses, he's a master craftsman, expert in working with gold, silver, and bronze. And you know, those are all the materials that were used in the construction of the tabernacle. He says, "He says he's skilled in engraving and mounting gemstones. Remember they use a lot of gems and uh, jewels in the, in the construction as well. And in carving wood. There was a lot of elaborate and intricate, intricate carvings uh, involved in the temple. And uh, he says he is a master in every craft. God made him that. God prepares, then he uses. God doesn't only consider those skilled in theological and ministerial abilities, but all the skills of his people. Many times we 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 look at ourselves as inferior by looking at those who have uh degrees in serving in particular areas of ministry, whether it's theological or otherwise. But God gives abilities or skills to all of his people. The Bible tells us that every single believer has at least one gift, at least one. There are no believer who can say to them, child, I ain't got no gift. God has given every single believer a gift. The key is discovering what that gift is and using it. And so all of God's people are skilled, not only gifts, but they are talents as well. Uh, and gifts are different from talents. Okay, gifts are what God gives when one becomes a believer in Christ. God bestows gifts on a believer. The talent is what you inherit from your daddy or your mommy or somebody in your family. Those are the talents. Those are got inherited skills. There's a tendency to show consideration only to those who are upfront in ministry, serving in leadership roles. Uh, we have a tendency just to focus on this, those individuals and disregard everybody else. Bezalel and Aholiab, two persons. That is mentioned uh in the passage, uh when it comes to uh the skills that God wanted, were given spirit filled abilities in an in artistic craftsmanship by God himself. God trained them. In other words, they went to God's school, uh they went to God's BTVI, you want to put it that way. Okay, that's where they went. God's schooled them. He equipped them. He gave them the wisdom. And so the principle then for us from here is be consciously aware of all the ability God, all the abilities God gives his people. It's something that we always want to be conscious of. If you don't have skills like Moses and Aaron, don't treat your skills as an unimportant. Okay, not because you don't have a skill like somebody else has. You think that you are less important. Don't do it. You are just as equally important to God as that person who has a skill that you're craving and you desire to have. God is the one who decided you're not going to have that. But he wants you to have something else. Okay, so don't look down on the gift that you have. Simply because you admire the gift of somebody else. And so that's the third person. And we going to stop there because we're getting into another person who is, uh, we have a lot to say about him. Because he was another. Huh? man I didn't know about. Yeah. so we have uh, those three. And they are 12 altogether. So we can learn a lot from those three already. Amen? Amen. Yeah.